I don't know about you, but I know that I am the product of a praying mother. Anybody testify to that? You're the product of a praying mother. Andrew Murray wrote a book called With Christ in the School of Prayer, and he says this, In regard to prayer, there is nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. And I wonder this morning, do we believe that? And do we believe it enough to say that I'm faithful to it and that I'm consistent in it? Because Paul is going this morning in First Timothy chapter 2, in, in chapter 1, he has, he has told us to guard the gospel. He's told us to celebrate the gospel. He's told us to fight for the gospel. And, and, and now he's going to turn and he's going to tell us how do we do that. And he's going to give these instructions to the church, to this young pastor, Timothy. And he is going to say, now, this is what you do, church. And, and for us, we need to pay attention. So if you haven't paid attention, pay attention now. Right? If you've slept through the first three or four weeks, wake up. Right? Wake up. Paul's going to tell this young Pastor Timothy in the church at Ephesus, hey, okay, I've told you to, to guard the gospel. I've told you to celebrate it. I've told you to fight for it. And now the first instruction right off the bat that Paul is going to give this young church is he's going to say pray pray not not develop a new program not not do all of these other things not not get busy with stuff and events and things we need to come to Paul's first instruction to the church is to pray and so our aim is simply this this morning for the text. Pray for and proclaim the gospel to all people. Pray for and proclaim the gospel to all people. Well, first, so 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says this. First of all then, right, right off the bat, first thing, Timothy, you need to know. First thing, church, at Ephesus, you need to know. I urge, okay? I urge. This is not a, hey, if, I mean, like if you get around to it, maybe you should do this, right? How many of you have urged your kids to do something? How many of you urged your kids to do something? Right? <laughs> okay, some of you are being honest this morning. The rest of you are like, I don't do that. Liar. Right? Okay, look, we, Paul is like, there is something in him that's saying, hey, with all that I am, I'm telling you, do this. Right? There's, there's this angst to it. I urge you. Like, I'm begging and pleading with you. Right? 
I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For all people. But he uses four different terms, but they all revolve around prayer. They revolve around us going to the Father. Now, why, why would Paul say that the first thing that the, the church needs to do is to pray? It's because the first thing we need to do before we do anything is go to the Father. Before you make any decision, we go to the what? The Father. Just like the kids skit, right? You can have this seat, Jesus. You can, you can have it. I, well, that decision's not that big. Oh, but it is, right? So the first thing that we do, church, is go to the Father. When there's a decision to be made, what do we do? Go to the Father. Through prayer. He says pray for all people. How many of there's some people this week that you say, I don't really want to pray for them? Okay, yeah. Like there's, I think you could turn on the news and go, I don't really don't want to pray for them. Right? Go drive in traffic. Right? Don't really want to pray for them. I don't. I want to yell at them. Right? Like, like, but, but Paul says pray for all people. Pray for all people. He's going to go on and he's going to say this. This is interesting. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we see that we are to pray for all people, and, and he says this, not only all people, but he specifically says for kings and those that are in high authority. <clears throat> this is fascinating, okay? And, and the reason it's fascinating because Nero is in rule right now when Paul's writing this. Well, let me unpack Nero for you, okay? Nero was really most famous for persecuting Christians. And, and it wasn't so much that he persecuted Christians, it's the way that he persecuted Christians. Nero was adamantly against Christians. So much so that, that, that um, when Rome burned, guess what Nero did? He blamed who? Christians, right? So that everybody else would hate them too. But, but on a regular basis, here's what Nero would do. This is how much he persecuted and disliked Christians. Is that Nero would oftentimes take Christians captive, okay? And he would douse them in oil, he would hang them on a stake and he would light them on fire to light his courtyard during his parties. That was Nero. That's who is in charge right now. And so Paul tells Timothy in the church at Ephesus, pray for him. Who? So let me, let me put it in perspective for us. Say he took your mom, or he took your dad, or he took your child who was a professing believer and he did that to them. 
Where's your heart then? Do you want to pray for him? No. You don't. And, and for a lot of us, when, when Paul says and gives instructions to the church that we're to pray for all people, but we're to pray for kings and for those in high positions, we're to pray for them. I don't care whether you like our president or not. You are called as believers through God's word to pray for him. You just are. It doesn't matter whether you agree with this policy. It doesn't matter whether you agree with anything. You, church, me, we are all called to pray. That's it. And Paul says, pray for all people. And then listen to this. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So, so let's unpack this a little bit. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Why is Paul saying this? Is, is Paul saying this so that we all just live happy, comfortable lives? No. But what Paul knows to be true, right? Because Paul is what? Paul is a, is a Jew and Paul is a Roman citizen. So Paul would have understood this thing called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And during the Pax Romana, guess what they did? They built roads called trade routes that went all over Rome. And during the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, guess what happened? Because of that, because God's sovereign and he's in control, because of those trade routes and the peace that was in Rome, guess what the gospel got to do? Go out into the nations because of peace. And so what Paul's saying here because of the peace in, in, in the world, if we pray for that and we pray for that, guess what the gospel gets to do? Go out. Can the gospel thrive amongst persecution? Absolutely. We see that in the New Testament. We see that through all of church history, that when there is persecution, the gospel thrives. But that's God. The gospel's gonna thrive because of God. But what Paul's saying is, look, we pray for peace so that the gospel may go out. And look, and then he's going to say this. Lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so Paul's saying here is like, do we live a godly and dignified life so that our lives will be attractive to those who don't know him. So, so what does that look like for us as we pray for all people when we pray and we lead these godly lives? As we live a life of character, we live a life that says, this is what I believe and I live it. My fear so much is that we come to church and we hear God's word and we go, yeah, I agree with that. Thumbs up. But then we leave and our life's completely different. And Paul's saying, hey, no. Live your life in such a way that you have character and, and, and is godly so that the outside world goes, man, I want whatever you have. Live your life. Pray for your neighbors. So, so how do we do that? How do we pray? I think because Paul says the first thing that we do is we should pray. And so how do we do that? And I want to give you three different ways. Is this is it we pray with expectations? It's going to get thrown up here. We, 
We pray with expectation. Okay? Well, what does that mean? Well, we pray with the God of heaven behind us. Right? Like, come on. When we go to the Lord in prayer, we pray that he's going to move and that he's going to do the unthinkable. He's going to do the miraculous. That he's going to do something that I can't orchestrate. And so when we pray, we pray with expectation. God, you're going to do some amazing things, and I'm coming before you to ask you to do it. Not in the way that I think, but God, in the way that only you can do. And we pray with expectation, church. And when's the last time you prayed with expectation? When's the last time you got on your, your knees or fell on your face before the Lord and said, God, I want you to move, and I'm expecting it. We pray with expectation. Well, the second is this, and this is the interesting thing, is that we tend to want to pray with expectation, but we fell in this next one with pray with consistency. Right? If he hasn't answered in this amount of time, well, I might as well just stop. Right? That's sometimes our mentality. Or because it hasn't happened, well... It's just, be fine. Be fine. Whatever. And then over time, we stop praying because we don't see God moving the way that we think he is. But what I know to be true about God and what so many of you know to be true about God is that God's always working. God's always moving. God's always doing something in the remarkable, in the miraculous, even when we can't see it. And when we when we pray with expectation and pray with consistency for all people guess what happens God works in their hearts and you may never see it you never, may never see it I, I've told this story about Don Mitchell before but Don Mitchell was um, came to know the Lord when he was 55 years old um, and Don Mitchell's mother prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him all his life, but she never got to see him come to the Lord. She never got to see that. But Don came to know the Lord, and for the last 20 years, Don's motto for his whole life is, I spent the first 55 years living for myself, and I'm going to spend the next 20 running and screaming the name of Jesus everywhere I go. He still goes to preteen camp to declare the gospel to kids at 75. Some of you in here, take note. We pray with expectation, but we pray with consistency over and over. God is moving. He hears our prayers, but we've got to be consistent in it. And we've got to pray with expectation. And then the next thing is this, we pray, we pray scripture, church. I think sometimes we, we miss the fact that there's been some incredible prayers written in God's word, right? And, and, and we don't have to have it all figured out. And sometimes we think we've got to go, and I just I don't know how to pray. Well, look, Ephesians chapter three, I'm just gonna give you one example. And, and 
and but I can give you a ton if you ask me. But Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it's a beautiful prayer. That you can pray for your children, you can pray for your spouse, you can pray for your neighbor, you can pray for anyone, just put their name in it. Listen, I'm going to read it for you, and I'm going to put my wife's name in there so you see it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant Logan to be strengthened with power through his spirit in her inner being, so that Christ may dwell in her heart through faith. Logan, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that she may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within her, to him be glory to the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You don't know how to pray? Start there. Start there and pray that prayer every single day for your children. Pray it for your spouse. Pray it for your neighbor every single day that they may know the depth and the width and the unsurpassing richness of knowing Jesus. May they do that. You don't know how to pray, start there. Church, we are called to pray for all people. He's going to go on and he's going to say this, that we are to proclaim the gospel to all people. And he says this. Let me, let me back up for a second. He, he says in verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is not um, a... Um, a, a <coughs> people have used this passage as for universalism, saying that, that, that God is going to save all people. That is not at all what this text is saying. God desires all people to be saved. But that does not mean all people will be saved. Okay? We have to respond to the truth of the gospel. We have to respond to Jesus Christ. And what we do with Jesus determines whether we're saved. If we put our faith and trust in Him, Scripture says that we are saved. But if we do not, it says that we are not. So just, we have to know that. We have to understand that. And He goes on in verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed, a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. We are called to proclaim the gospel to all people. We are. Look, church, we're, we're called to proclaim the gospel. Paul says, look, you want to, um, you, you, you want for, you want God to move? Pray. You want God to move? Proclaim the gospel. You want God to change your heart? Pray. You want God to change your heart? Proclaim the gospel. Because here's what both of these things are. 
They're an example of what Christ did for you. They are selfless acts. Right? They're selfless acts for us. To pray for someone else is a selfless act. Because our tendency is what? To want to take care of me and mine. To proclaim the gospel to people. Say, man, I want you to have what I know to be true. And we declare it with all that we are. And Paul's saying, look, we have one mediator in Christ Jesus. He is the ransom for us. You understand what that word means? Like, he paid a price for you and for me with his life. How many of you have bought something recently? Just anything. Okay. Did you pay a price for that? Did it hurt? Well, maybe, I mean, if you were at the grocery store, it might have, but, right? But it wasn't a, it wasn't a gut-wrenching hurt, was it? The price you paid wasn't, didn't rip your heart out. Didn't break your heart. Because at the end of the day, what is it? It's just money. But what God did was he paid the ultimate price. He sent his son. Lived a perfect life. And then he was beaten and bruised and battered and hung on a cross and died for your sin and for mine and was laid in a tomb and three days later rose again declaring victory over death so that when you and I admit that we're sinners and we believe that he died on the cross for our sins and we confess him as the Lord of our life and we step into relationship with him we gain life We proclaim that gospel to all people. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do, church. And look, we... I read this this week. We cannot go into God's presence unless we are dependent on Christ's forgiveness and righteousness before God, not our own. So what that means is that as we go to the Lord in prayer, we understand the gospel. We understand that, that he became sin who knew no sin, that I might become the righteousness of God. And as I approach his throne and I rely on that grace and that goodness, then I come to him on behalf of all people. Say, God, may they know the depth and the richness and the fullness of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Church, may it be true of us that we pray for all people and that we proclaim the gospel to all people. I'm going to end with this quote from Richard Baxter. I just want you to listen. Let your heart yearn for your ungodly neighbors. Alas, there is but a step between them and death and hell. Many hundred diseases are waiting ready to seize on them. And if they die unregenerate, 
they will be lost forever. Have you hearts of rock that cannot pity men in such a case as this? Do you not care who is damned as long as you are saved? If so, you have sufficient cause to pity yourselves. For it is a frame of spirit utterly inconsistent with grace. Do you live close by them? Or do you meet them in the streets of work with, or work with them or travel with them or sit and talk with them and say nothing to them of their souls? If their houses were on fire, you would run and help them. Will you not help them when their souls are almost at the fire of hell? My prayer, church, is that God would break our hearts for the people that are lost in our own backyard. And that we would run with all that we are to proclaim the gospel to them. And when we're not running, we would pray for them. God, you are good, and you are kind, and you are You are faithful. Father, may we be found faithful this morning. God, may we turn our hearts back to you with all that we are. Father, may we get before our knees and may we pray for our neighbors as we lead them to know and be changed by Jesus. And Father, may we run as fast as we can to proclaim the gospel to them. Father, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Break our hearts for the lost. May you give us the opportunities this week to do just that. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.